Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today we are going to be talking about success. And I know that sometimes when we're sitting on the outside looking in at successful people, we might be wondering, what is their secret? How did they achieve extraordinary success? What do they know that maybe I don't? So today I've invited our guest, Dr. Ruth Gotian, who researches the most successful people of our generation, including Nobel laureates, astronauts, CEOs, and Olympians, in order to learn about their habits and practices so that we may optimize our own success. She serves as Chief Learning Officer and Assistant Professor of Education and Anesthesiology at Wheel Cornell Medicine. Formerly, she served as Assistant Dean of Mentoring and Executive Director of the Mentoring Academy at Wheel Cornell, where she oversaw the success of nearly 1,800 faculty members. She is an expert in mentoring and leadership development and is currently a contributor to Forbes as well as Psychology Today, where she writes about optimizing success. So Ruth's book, we are going to spend a bit of time today talking about Ruth's new book, The Success Factor, Developing the Mindset and Skill Set for Peak Business Performance. And there are lots of good things that we're going to learn today about how to optimize, how you can optimize your own success. Enjoy. So Ruth, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's it's so wonderful to have you. And, you know, I think that this whole idea of the success factor and what really sets people apart, you know, from those who succeed and those who don't, because as you know, it's not just about having a great idea, right? There's a lot more to it. And I think that this is so relevant for authors because so much of this mindset and skill set applies to authors. So I'd Absolutely. love to hear a little bit about what prompted you to write this book? This is really, it has been a journey. And if you would have told me five years ago, I'd be writing this book, I would have thought that you were crazy. And I actually started to think about what made me want to sit in front of a screen and write 70,000 words <laughs> and interview all these people. Because it, it's a major piece of work. It's very isolating and also you get into the state of flow. You just love it so much. You can't stop. So my grandma Esther always told me that I was a great writer. And I said, she's my grandmother. She's supposed to say that. <laughs> but I had never written anything other than book reports. Mm. So I didn't take that seriously. But yet that compliment always stayed with me from the time I was a kid until later on. And then when I was 43, I decided to go back to school. 
and get my doctorate. And I studied adult learning and leadership. And my dissertation was about success and the most successful physician scientists of our generation. And it was my dissertation advisor, Dr. Marie Volpe, who made me a great writer. Mm. There's a difference. And making sure I wrote about what I love. After that, right, still when you write a dissertation, it has to be done in a certain way. I couldn't get this idea of success out of my head. And the same things I found with the physician scientists, those who have an MD and also do research, I was curious if those four elements I would find in other extreme high achievers. So I started interviewing astronauts and Olympic champions and Fortune 500 CEOs and senior government officials. And what do you know? <laughs> they all do the same four things. So if a Nobel Prize winning scientist is just like an Olympic champion short track speed skater, that means these are learned skills. And if they're learned skills, I have a doctorate in adult learning. I can teach this. And the first way to start teaching it is by actually writing about it. So I wrote the book, The Success Factor, talked about the four elements of success. And then what kind of an adult educator would I be if I didn't teach people how to implement those four elements in their own lives? And knowing that adults like and need options Every element has a buffet of options because Robin, what works for you may not work for me. And what works for me today may not work for me when I have a transition in life or my career, Mm -hmm. a move, a new job, a kid, whatever it is. So you need to always have options that you can pick and choose from. And then once I saw these four elements and the more high achievers I have spoken with, and I know we've worked with some of the same high achievers. Once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. It was just like neon lights. So that was it. And now the success factor is coming out to light. That's so exciting. So I have to ask you, so what are these factors? (laughs) (laughs) What is the success factor? So there's actually, there's four of them. And the key is you must do all four simultaneously. But if you have to start with one, I would say you need to figure out your passion and your purpose, what we call in adult learning, your intrinsic motivation. It comes from within. You have this fire in your belly. You can't not do it. You're probably already doing it in some sort of volunteer capacity anyway. This is very different from extrinsic motivation for the diploma, the promotion, the award, the certificate, the pat on the back, the congratulatory email. Those are other people judging you. And when other people judge you, you can't sustain that. And those are the people who either fail out or burn out. But when it comes from within, it doesn't matter if there's a lack of resources, doesn't matter if there's a pandemic, you are going to find a way to get this done because you can't not do it. This is why you wake up in the morning and you can barely quiet your mind when you have to go to sleep because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? When you find it. (laughs) And all of the extreme high achievers had it. Yes, our obsession. (laughs) It's a healthy obsession. I think one of my business coaches called it a magnificent obsession. Yes. Obsession, which I thought was a great, yeah, that's fantastic. All right. So we have a healthy obsession. Obsession. (laughs) Or intrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation. (laughs) Pardon me. I'm putting your passion and purpose. (laughs) So once you have found that, you are going to outwork everyone, not because you have to 
but because you want to. You are going to do this deep thinking and deep work because you need to find the answer. You need to find the solution. You need to find a better, more efficient way of doing something. So it's that work ethic in a healthy way, Mm -hmm. but in a way that you can't stop. And you get into what's called the state of flow Mm. where time melts away and you're not hungry or tired. You need to do this. It fulfills you. So that's why that work ethic goes goes hand in hand. These people don't drop their pen at five o'clock. Not if they're still in it, right? Mm. If they finish at three o'clock, they'll finish at three o'clock and go on their merry way. But if they're in it, this is what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, do you find that success factor, like that particular factor of the work ethic? Because when you have that intrinsic motivation, sometimes the challenge is getting yourself to stop. Yeah. But these, I think what has made these people so successful is that they have figured out how to have that balance. Mm -hmm. They don't Mm -hmm. work 365 days a year. They're significantly more efficient when they do work. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the things that I talk about when I, when I say that I teach you how to apply these things. Mm-hmm. I actually right. teach you how to get the most out of every minute of the day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So for example, I was writing the book, I'm a morning person. You don't want me writing at seven o'clock at night. It's, it's going to be mush. Seven <laughs> o'clock in the morning, I will bang out 2000 words. Easy, yeah. Yeah. right? My mind is fresh. The words are just you know, I have that pot of coffee and the words are just flowing. Mm-hmm. And I know I need to stop at a certain point. So that yeah. second one is that work ethic. The third one is a very strong foundation, which they're constantly reinforcing. The things that they did early in their career are the same things they do later in their career, even if they've had all of these accolades and all of these accomplishments. The Nobel Prize winner does not stop writing grants or stop doing research just because they've won the Nobel Prize. Mm -hmm. The Olympic champion does not stop doing warm-ups just because they got an Olympic medal. They do the same warm-ups that you would see in a junior high gym. Yeah, they've got fancier sneakers and better equipment, (laughs) but the warm-ups are exactly the same. I spoke to Ryan Millar, a three-time Olympian, gold medalist in men's volleyball. And he told me for the Olympics, their warm-up are the ball control It's a game of pepper. It's what he used to do in his backyard when he was seven years old. Same thing. So that's the third one. And the final one. So yeah, these people have their terminal degrees and and all of that, but they don't stop learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you hear Mark Cuban and Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, they read three to eight hours a day. It's not reading that made them billionaires. It's being open to new knowledge. So some people, you and I love to read right? And we can read. And if we had eight hours a day to read, that sounds like heaven to us. But for those people who don't like to read or don't have the time to read, well, yeah, you can read books, but you can read articles, you can read blogs, you can listen to podcasts such as this one to learn new things, you can watch videos. Every person has to find their own way of learning new things, but constantly being open to it. And one of the significant things that all of the high achievers had was they talked to people as a way of learning new information. And they would surround themselves with not one mentor, but a team of mentors who believed in them more than they believed in themselves. Mm -hmm. And the book, The Success Factor, actually has the stories that of some of the guidance that these people had, including people who you've worked with for their books, 
the advice and guidance that they got from their mentors, which completely changed the course of their life. That's how some of them became astronauts because they got the support. That's right. I remember Nicole's story about that. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly who I was referring to. <laughs> yeah. Nicole Stop. Absolutely. She Absolutely. became an astronaut because of the encouragement from her mentor. Mm-hmm. And it was basically control what you can control. You may not be able to control if you'll get accepted, but you can certainly control if you fill out that application. So mm-hmm. first step, start by filling out the application. You know, and you said something else that also made me think of some of the most successful people that I know, which is this idea of always being interested in learning from other people and thinking of one particular friend of mine. Actually, I'll just go ahead and mention him since it's a nice compliment um, (laughs) is uh, Dr. William Lee, who I've noticed in observing him over many years. We've been friends for decades And he has a lot of interesting things to share about himself and his life. But when he meets a new person, it's like an interrogation, right? I mean, he really wants to know what they're up to, what they've done, what they're doing next, you know, where they're from. I mean, he's really interested and, you know, he's one of the smartest, most well-informed people I know. And so, and I think that there's, that's not, I think those two things are very closely related. Did you see that as well? Is that what you were kind of alluding to? So it's true. They're talking to other people, maybe not in quite an interrogation, but it's to I'm learn exactly. new ways. I understand. Exactly. <laughs> it's a friendly interrogation, but he really, he doesn't just ask a superficial question like, what do you do? And then walk away. That's what I'm Correct. saying. He's looking for the next layers and really wanting to get some depth. And they very quickly, as they're talking to people, they understand how what they're doing can somehow relate to what they're doing. They're able to connect those dots. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're so obvious that nobody sees them. And sometimes you have to dig through some layers, but that's how they get that innovative mind of making these connections that other people don't make, but they do it because they talk to other people and they will talk to other people who are outside of their industry in order to learn everything that they can in order to improve everything that they're doing. Yes, exactly. And that's what I've watched, you know, him and other people I know who I I would put in your, you know, who also could have been in your book, right? Where maybe they are. Maybe they are, right? (laughs) Can't wait to open it and find out. Um, But, you know, that they really are genuinely interested. And like you said, there's still part of their listening is always connected to what they're up to. Always. They're always making connections. And even if they don't recognize the connection right now, it could be years down the road and they'll remember that conversation of what they said. And they will call up that person. That person could be someone who's senior to them at their level or junior to them. They have no problem with reaching out to somebody who is a generation younger than them. Mm -hmm. They're happy to do that because by doing so, they could just learn new ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that ongoing like curiosity, right? Like they're just interested. So interested. It's not this synthetic conversation. They're really having this conversation so that they can learn about you. They Mm -hmm. want to know about you. And it's some of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had. Right. <laughs> it's I find have become good talking, friends as a result. <laughs> right. When I'm talking to people like that, my greatest frustration is I can't get a question in edgewise. <laughs> I, I would like to also know about them, but they're much better at it. 
They're really good. So I have a different challenge is I get so focused on the person that I'm talking to and hearing their story. Because I tell them right away, I'm not really interested in what I can Google about you. Right. I don't need this conversation for that. I'm more interested in what it took to get there, what people don't talk about. And that's how I found Mm. I had these conversations with eight-time NBA champion, Steve Kerr, and the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Dr. Tony Fauci, because I want to know what it took to get there. Mm. Everyone knows Fauci advised seven presidents. You could Google that. That's, I mean, it's incredible, but it's not really what I want to talk about. It's what did it take to get to that point? And how do you deal with the challenges? And what do you do when things work? And what do you do when things don't work? So it's quite a fascinating conversation. And my challenge is I get so focused on them that they ask me questions about myself. And somehow I answer it quickly. And I say, back to you, I want to know more about this. Because <laughs> my life is boring compared to their life. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, you're one of those people I struggle with when I go to you know, <laughs> certain events. <laughs> There's lots of fascinating people and I'm trying to find out about them and they won't stop asking me questions. <laughs> I know, but you know, I think you need, you always need to be the least fascinating person in the room. Well, that makes you the most fascinating, right? Like I've always said, if you just go and, and you're just really curious about everyone else, they'll walk away saying you're the best conversationalist. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Maybe that's why some of them have become such good friends. There you go. <laughs> So when you go back to them and and you're finding out all these things about what it took, are you seeing patterns in terms of like certain roadblocks that showed up? Maybe there's circumstances being different. Maybe it wasn't so much external roadblocks, but internal roadblocks that have been consistently things they've had to overcome. Let's put it this way. They all had roadblocks. I don't Mm -hmm. care if you've won five Olympic gold medals or if you won the Nobel Prize, they have all had roadblocks. Of course. They're no different than us. Mm-hmm. The difference is how they approach these challenges. So the challenges were different, right? Based on right. the person, right? We have a lot of the Nobel laureates who were forced to go into research. It wasn't really their passion at the beginning, but it was either go do research at the NIH, which was super competitive, or go to Vietnam and fight in the war. Those oh. were the options. So they did it and then fell in love with it. And so many of them won the Nobel Prize. They were called the Yellow Berets. Comically, they were called after the Green Berets. But actually, 10 of the Yellow Berets actually won Nobel Prizes, which is fascinating. But they all had challenges. But the way they approached the challenges was very different. So instead of saying, I have to count, what am I going to do? right? Just throw your hands up. They never question if they will overcome a challenge. Mm. Never. Instead, they focus and they shift their mindset to how will I overcome this challenge? Right. What is the strategy I hadn't considered yet? Who do I need to talk to? What do I need in order to solve this problem? So when you look at problems in that way and challenges in that way, you know, at the end of the day or week or month or year, you're going to solve the challenge. You just haven't figured out how yet, but you have enough confidence in yourself that if you think about it hard enough and you do what you need to do, you'll get there. Yeah. You're just not there yet, which is very different because most people have a challenge and they'll, they'll give up. Not, not these people. They're relentless. Remember that, that second element 
that work ethic because when it's your passion, you can't not do it. You can't. But you know, I think being relentless is actually like a step up from just having a work ethic, right? Because you can be willing to put in the hours doing the same thing over and over again that's not getting you the result. Yes. And then just complain how hard you're working and you're not getting the result versus forcing yourself to, you know, or just naturally, perhaps, I, th- I think, I, you know, this is absolutely a skill that can be cultivated, right? Develop a skill of looking at problems differently and relentlessly asking yourself what to do or how to fix it or how to resolve it or how to get beyond it. And then this is what I found to be the key. You have to do it. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's a key thing, right? And, and that's what I say. Right? That's and the difference between one day and making today day one. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't talk about one day. They make today day one. But when they have those challenges, then they have to figure out what they need to do. They don't just sit in a corner and bang their head against the wall. They will, remember that informal learning? They will go and read up what they can, talk to people, reach out to their mentors, all of those things. They do that and that helps them overcome the challenge. And trust me, not every day is glorious, right? right? When you do research, there are more failures and bad days than good days. If you're an athlete, there are more days you're not going to win than you will win. I actually spoke to a world championship baseball player a World Series champ from the 1969 Miracle Mets, Art Shamsky. Oh, wow. How cool. Said, I know, right? And he said, do you know what it's like that you are at that? And over the speakers to millions of people, both in person on television, they're announcing your stats. Your Ugh. stats are your failures, actually. And it's announced, right? Yeah. But there are more bad days than good days, but the mentor is also, besides giving them the additional perspectives, they're also their cheerleader. And I always say they believe in them more than they believe in themselves. Right. So they all had it and they never felt that they had all the answers. Never. Mm-hmm. They felt they had more questions than answers. Absolutely. Yes. I find when someone comes to me and they already know everything about publishing, I know that that's not my mentee. Yeah. <laughs> it's not someone I want to. Wait, this is not going to work out well. <laughs> this is not going to work out well. <laughs> Since you know so much, though, I wish you well. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> that is so cool. So relentless. And I guess when you were researching this book, and I know you did a lot, a lot of interviews, what was something that really surprised you that came forward? I was not expecting these people who have achieved such incredible heights in their career. I had not expected them to be this humble. And so much so that there are some things that surprised me. So for example, I always ask the Olympians, can you show me your medals? Only two of them had it on display. Only two. Yeah. Everyone else, it's in a box under the bed. It's in safe. <laughs> I had a few that it was in a brown paper bag in the nightstand or in the sock drawer. <laughs> and one of them, actually, Scott Hamilton, the gold medal figure sure. skater from 84, he gave them all away to the Figure Skating Hall of Fame. He gave them all away. Yeah. I know. Crazy, right? And, <laughs> and I asked people, I said, I put this poll on LinkedIn. I said, well, if, if you got a an Olympic medal, what would you do with it? And a lot of people said, 
I'd put it under my pillow. I'd sleep with it around my neck, <laughs> right? Nobody thought I'd put it in a brown paper bag in the sock drawer, right? But they do. And the reason is they say that the metal, it's a chapter in their lives. It's not the entire story. And I think that's why they're so successful and didn't crash and burn mm-hmm. afterwards. And one of the things you know, right, people always ask me, well, how do you identify what success is? How do you define it? And I can tell you that the definition is different based on who you ask. It's also different based on gender and rank. Hmm. So I did a lot of research about that. But one thing that became crystal clear was that those who were successful push their field forward in some new way. Mm-hmm. And also, as they push the field forward, they're also paying it back. So they're bringing people up with them. And some of them, it's individual people they mentor, right? So Dr. Bob Lefkowitz, Nobel Prize winner, never became a chair, never became a dean, even though he's been offered many times. Nope, just wanted his lab. But he has mentored over 200 trainees, Mm -hmm. 200. I don't know anyone else who's done 200 individual trainees. And then there are some people who've created huge programs Mm-hmm. Right. So we know the astronaut, Dr. Charlie Camarda, created a whole epic education foundation to teach people how to think about challenges in new and innovative ways and to be fearless. So people have done it in different ways, but they have always pushed the field forward and brought people up with them. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious to hear what were the differences in the definition of success for, let's just do gender. I'm, I'm really curious. So it, it's really interesting because women felt that it's often the things that they are, and it's the same with junior faculty, with the people who are lower ranked in their career. It's the things that their promotions are based upon. It's your things that you can actually measure and count, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's your publications, it's your grants, it's those types of things, right? But the people who are more senior they started thinking about their legacy. Mm. What are you known for? What national recognition do you get? Where the people who were lower ranked never thought about their their recognition at all. The women obviously wanted to, they felt the success was part of who you know and and how you leverage that, where men, just that was just part of who they were. They never made that connection. What is interesting is that the people who are higher ranked, their definition of success is not the same definition that they use when promoting the more junior people. So what they think and what they actually do, Hmm. right? The espouse is very different. Interesting. Can you give me an example of that? Because I think just so that our- Right. So, So for example, for academia, where I've been for a quarter of a century, the senior people are talking about their national recognition and they're talking about their legacy and what big awards did you get, right? Where the junior faculty are, did I publish the right number of papers in the right journals? Did I give the talks in the right places? Did I get a grant, the right grant from the right place for the right amount? The senior people aren't talking about the grants and the papers anymore. It's what awards and recognitions sure, did I get? Sure. Okay, gotcha. But now when I asked about gender, so are you saying that women think more like the junior people and men think more like the senior yeah, people? Exactly. Which is not surprising. Wow. Not surprising, even, right? Even senior women? Yep. Hmm. 
Well, there's book two. There's the well. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really fascinating because every woman who I interviewed, also every underrepresented minority, Mm -hmm. brought up their gender or race ethnicity in the conversation and how barriers were put before them because of that. Yeah. I didn't get that from the other groups. Well, yeah, it's the water that you swim in, right? So. Yeah, it was just repeated every single time. Wow. You know, it's interesting because when we think about success factor, there's still that other factor. And that's why I always say that the nuances of the definition of success, it's different based on who you ask. But the other important thing to understand is that success is a moving target. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what you deem as successful today you might have a very definition in a year from now, in five years from now, in 10 years from now, which is why I hate the question, what do you want to do in 10 years? I don't know. Right. What do I want to do in five years? Are there things I want to achieve? Absolutely. And my friend Susan laughs at me that my five-year goals fit on a post-it note. It's five <laughs> bullets on a post-it note. Those are the things that I want to achieve. And then I rework it. Because that's what I want right now. And every so often I'll cross something out and add something new instead. Yeah. Well, I think one thing I found to be a huge factor is you have to really, 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 really want it. Right. (sighs) Element number one. Yeah. You have to want it. Yeah. And if it's not, like you said, that intrinsic desire is going to keep you going that those extra steps when. Absolutely. Especially when the roadblocks show up. Right. If you don't really, really, if you don't want it bad enough, you won't get past that block. Absolutely. And those are the people who never finish. Remember, I said mm-hmm. they fail out or burn out. You know, there's an interesting story which I, I talk about in the book. So I told you I was I was older when I went back to school to get my doctorate, and one of the last classes that you take is prepares you for your proposal, and it's sort of like putting together a book proposal, right? And the professor went around the room. And a lot of people were working full time and they were later in life, they were getting their doctorate. And she asked every single person, why do you want this doctorate? I mean, it's a long road. It's expensive. It's isolating. It is a ton of work. I don't think I have ever worked so hard. And everyone gave their answers. And I was thinking as I was listening to the conversation, I was thinking this one wants a promotion. This one wants a raise. This one wants a new job. This one has a question they've been noodling about for 10 years. This one had an experience and they want to know what it means. This one is thinking about this and can't stop thinking about this. I kept thinking to myself, the ones who are doing it for the promotion, the raise or new job, they're not going to finish. They're not going to finish. And years later, they still haven't finished. Wow. Wow. They still haven't finished. I don't even think they ever put their thesis proposal in. They never finished. The others that had an experience they wanted to understand, that they had a question they've been noodling about, they have this idea in their head for all these years they can't stop thinking about. Those people not only finished, they finished in record time. Mm, And they did great jobs. They have what we call line one. Line one means no edits. So it was very obvious to me. And I remember going up to the professor and I said, you know, the responses to your questions fell in two buckets. And I found that very interesting. And we had a discussion about it. And then years later, we discussed it again because the professor was actually my dissertation advisor later on. (laughs) And I said to her, I said, you know, those who who said that they're doing it for the promotion or the recognition, 
I said, they never finished, did they? She said, nope, never finished. Couldn't get a proposal, couldn't get a single chapter, couldn't even get their research questions done. Wow. They didn't love it. You yeah. have to love it. They felt almost like a should, like right? Like there's there was something, yeah. there, like a box that needed to be ticked or something like that. It's so interesting because one of my, one of my mentors, Dr. Bert Shapiro, who worked at the NIH, and he's one of the people who I told him I was going back to school and he wrote my letter of recommendation. And when we were talking about the topic and I said, I want to work, I want to do something with physician scientists. I know I want to do something with physician scientists. And he said to me, do something important, not just interesting. Mm. Because if it's important, it'll have an impact. And by the way, Tony Fauci said the same thing to me. And so now I've heard it from two people, Mm -hmm. right? Two people from the NIH. And what I realized was that nationally, I used to run an MD-PhD program, and everyone was talking about the, what we called the leaky pipeline, those who were leaving the physician-scientist workforce. The NIH even put working groups together to discuss it. I mean, we were pouring resources into this problem. And I said, but what about the people on the other end of the spectrum whose work is so incredible and so amazing and so impactful that it'll more than make up for those who are leaving? And those people were being ignored. Nobody was looking at those people. <laughs> wow. And I said, I'm going to look at those people. Yeah. Those are my people. And that's what led to my studying Nobel Prize winners and surgeon generals and breakthrough award winners and people mm-hmm. like Fauci. You know what? And what, here we are. An astronaut. And, are, and you know, I'm nodding my head and smiling as I'm listening to this because I had a similar kind of epiphany in my own work, you know, sometime in my later 40s where it dawned on me, and I know this will come as a shock to hear, Ruth, but I am not going to live forever. And I was a little shocked, but I accepted that. And I realized that that meant there was a finite number of books that I would be able to shepherd into the world. And then I realized I needed to get really, really serious about whose books I was going to give my time to. And I only want to put my time and energy into books that will have an impact. Yeah. Which meant I had to really rethink who I was working with and and not not to say that there was any anything bad or missing in where I had been, but I just realized I that for me to really have ma- that maximum impact, I needed to be working with people who are having an impact and who are committed to having an impact. And look at what you did on a global scale, right? <laughs> And then my tagline became helping world-class experts write world-changing books. And that's all we do. And it's so fulfilling, right? And it's so exciting. So I think that what you're saying about impact versus interesting, right? Lots of people have interesting stories to tell, but are they impactful? Right. Is so right on the mark. I got great advice. I listened. I listened to my mentors. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. And look where it got me to the success factor. So I'm eternally grateful to them. Yeah, that is for so sure. Cool. And I love that idea of focusing, like changing the focus, right? Instead of trying to drag along mm-hmm. the people who are just pushing the paper around. Exactly. And turning the focus to where where it's really happening and the people who already have the passion and people who are yeah. already already committed to having an impact. It is so much more like it's so much more fun to work with people 
who are who are that lit up and absolutely fired up and that was the other thing i experienced too when i made that shift myself so it's it's incredible and when you surround yourself with mm. people like that i said i made myself patient zero whatever they're doing i'm gonna do <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> and yeah, all of a sudden great. is that's when things started that's when things started changing. And I, I tell people I became obsessed with success because I don't believe anyone wakes up in the morning aiming to be average. Right. I think people really want to be successful. They don't always know how to do it. They don't quite have the blueprint and the blueprint for you doesn't quite fit me. So I was going to change that. I was going to create a transformational blueprint that fits anybody who wants to be successful and because it has options yeah that's why it fits you and it fits me and fits any other person cool so beyond the book ruth is there any other way people can get in touch with you or do you do you offer a course or something that we should know about or am i jumping so, the gun here <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely courses in the work the book is called the success factor it's available wherever you buy books and my website and the social media is just my name my website is ruthgotian.com well before i let you go i have to ask you the the one final question that i love to ask all of my guests which is what is the question that i should have asked could have asked or you wish i'd asked that i didn't and then please answer it <laughs> so i um i'm a voracious reader i read 70 to 100 books a year and it's fun to talk to you about that because it's somebody who loves books and I'm not seen as odd <laughs> having to read that books, right? So when I was a kid, we were we went overseas in the summer. We were allowed two suitcases. One of mine was filled with clothes and records. The records were in between the clothes. And the other one was filled with books. Wow. <laughs> because at that time the New York Public Library allowed you to take unlimited number of books for the <laughs> summer. <laughs> and you had the whole summer, right? Oh, wow. Not just three weeks. Yeah. So I just filled it up. This oh my is gosh. Way before Kindle, right? Right. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, people ask me what my favorite books are. And I said, well, I can tell you my recent favorite books. Oh, yes. <laughs> because it, it changes all the time. But some of my, interestingly, some of my favorite books are actually autobiographies. Mm, yeah, which I never would have thought of autobiographies of people who are alive. Mm -hmm. So for example, A Higher Standard by General Anne Dunwoody, first female four-star general, From Willard Strait to Wall Street by Thomas W. Jones, who in 1969 started the takeover of the student union at Cornell University. Uh -huh. And that's why they have a whole curriculum for African-American studies now. And I just finished reading and I wrote about it for Forbes, the autobiography of one of the Nobel laureates who's in my book, Dr. Bob Lefkowitz, oh, nice. Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. And he wrote the book, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Stockholm. <laughs> I love that title. Those books are probably some of my absolute favorite right now. They, I recommend them to a lot of people because they're exceptionally well-written. And That's they're exceptional cool. stories and lives. All right. Well, I just have to do a plug for my client, uh, Dr. Lou Agnaro, also a Nobel laureate, whose memoir, Dr. No, 
mm-hmm. which stands for nitric oxide. <laughs> Love it. In February. So put that on your reading list. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. And I'm going to read Nicole Stott's book too. And Nicole Stott's Back to Earth. Because she's in my book too. Yes. And she's in your book. So that's another connection that we share. And Ruth, thank you so much for being thank here you. today and sharing these incredible wisdoms on success. Thank you. And thanks for letting me talk about the success factor. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.